Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and MBUK magazine as well. Joining me in the studio is Nick Clark. He's one of our digital writers. How are you getting on, Nick? Not too bad, Tom. Lovely stuff. And from underneath his duvet at home, hence potentially not quite as crisp sound recording, but hopefully it's not too bad. We have... <laughs> I'm completely Tom Law. <laughs> I couldn't remember your surname. He's just so confused by the fact that I'm under a duvet because <laughs> this is the best that I could come up with whilst trying to look after the dog. <laughs> It's good. Thank you for um, hiding out under your duvet, Tom. Um, it's all right, mate. <laughs> hopefully it won't get too sweaty down in there. It's it's a tad warm, not going to lie. It is a tad warm. Um, what else have you been up to recently, Tom? What have you been getting on with? What have you been doing? We've been doing a lot of filming recently, so you might have seen some Enduro Fork tests on BiteRadar.com. So we've been doing a video group set review of those. Uh, we've got a another secret bike coming out, which I can't talk about just yet. So that'll be coming out on the channel next week and planning some more videos for future as well. So lots of stuff going on as always. Excellent. Have you been having fun doing anything? Have you been riding bikes? Have you been doing anything good like that? Yeah, well, the, the joyous part of uh, of the Enduro Fork test is that I got to ride a lot of the forks as well. Uh, and a rather nice Cotit Rocket Max. So that, uh, yeah, entailed a, a day at the Forest of Dean in the outdoor office, you know, so doing some shooting with that, doing some laptop work in between and then scaring myself silly on some of their downhill tracks. So, yeah, it was all good. Good stuff. Nick, what have you been doing? Recently, I've been to Italy to go and test some e-bikes, which was very interesting. Um, got a bit out of shape with a famous Fabian Burrell. Oh. Yeah. I also got him to jump me on an e-bike as well, which was 
a risky maybe after lunch activity, but yeah. it was very fun. And uh, yeah, this weekend I've been out testing a new hardtail from Go Outdoors. A from five, Caliber. From Caliber, a 550-pound rocket. Hey, all the big jobs. All the big jobs. But uh, no, really good. I've been enjoying myself on the bike recently, feeling good. Back on the clips as well. Back on the clips. Excellent. Adult pedals. We like to hear that. Yeah, good. for sure. For those who can't bunny hop, but... Yeah. <laughs> and I count myself as one of those. <laughs> yeah, count me, count me in that one as well. Excellent. I'm doing all right. Thanks, everyone, for asking. Yeah, how are you, Tom? <laughs> I'm doing all right, thank you, yeah. Um, I've just got back from Sea Otter uh, over in California, which was a lovely trade show to go and visit. Um, I got myself nice and suntanned, and I put on a few pounds because I made the most of American breakfasts. Uh, and it was delicious. Um, myself and George, our uh, editor-in-chief at Bike Road, I did a number of podcasts from the show as well. So if you haven't heard those, go back through your podcast provider of choice. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe at the same time, and then you'll get them beamed straight to your phone anyway. Right, in this episode of the Bike Road podcast, we are talking about the bits of kit that arrive on bikes that maybe people don't really sing about, but are actually... Really nice to see. So when we get a test bike, if you know, you've got, oh, yeah, the forks, that's great. Or you've got, you know, the frame looks great. But it's all about the hidden details that um, maybe the nerdier ones of us sort of notice and like, hmm, that product manager, they're switched on. They've picked the right, the good stuff. Um, so we thought we'd uh, have a little whip around the room and pick out a few of those components that maybe don't sing, that we don't sing about so often. But actually, when we see, we were actually really chuffed that they're on a test bike. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Lovely. All right. Well, uh, we'll start with you, Tom. What's your first? Yeah, so my first one would be the SDG Bel Air, the 3.0 version. So this is actually something that's relatively new to me. I hadn't tried it out until last year. Uh, but as soon as I sat in it, I was like, oh, where where have you been? Uh, it's I've just found it massively comfortable. Uh, and I've spiked the number of brands specking it on their bikes these days as well, which is always nice to see the likes of Orange, Transition, I think Santa Cruz always stuck with WTB, but a number of brands have started specking on their bikes. So it's just something that you can just fit on your bike and forget about it. So really liking that at the moment. How how well does it suit your posterior? Is it is it wide? Is it narrow? Has it got a, a pressure relieving channel? What's so good about it? It's fairly neutral. So it's 142 mil wide. It is very short though. I think it's 260 mil long. So it is quite short, short than what I've used in the past. But the shape just seems to really suit me. I think there's uh, the peri. I think they call it the peri channel mm-hmm. that sits down the middle to uh, remove uh, any stress from your perineum. And I just found it massively comfortable. It's got a nice sort of um, similar to you know the fabric saddles that are like a three piece mm. sort of design. It's sort of like a vacuum bonded uh, sort of thing as well. well. That's the version that I've got, but they do traditionally sort of constructed ones as well. Uh, so yeah, you can get them with steel. Uh, I think they've got their lux alloy rails and carbon rails as well. So loads of options. Of course, I went for the the blingy oil slick version to Very match nice. the rest of the bike. But uh, yeah, if I was to see that on a test bike, I'd be thinking, yes, that's one less thing that I've got to worry about on a bike that I'm going to have to rack up some serious miles on. Yeah, fair enough. Are you quite particular about your saddles, Tom? Or are you, I, I'm pretty ambivalent towards a lot of saddles. I, I get on with most saddles. And I definitely get on with saddles that a lot of people don't seem to like. Um, there's a physic one that, a physic goby. I used to love a physic goby, but I think I was the only person mm. I've ever met who loved a physic goby. I liked it, but the biggest problem I had with the goby was I only ever rode them on demo bikes because this was back in the day before I worked in the industry. 
because uh, they don't actually make it anymore. No. So I only ever spent like half an hour, 45 minutes on it and was like, oh man, this is the best thing ever. So when I could actually, because they were quite expensive, mm. when I can actually afford one and bought one, after an hour, it was like, oh, I've made a mistake here because I've never actually ridden this for more than an hour. So uh, for that first hour, it was great. But after that, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a killer. It had a bit quite a curved top that did the Gobi, I think. Very. I think later ones, did they, they revised it and it was a little bit flatter at the top. But certainly when I was riding gobies back at uni it was yeah it was like there was a the top profile from front to back was was quite curved it was a bit of a mm. split opinions quite literally yeah definitely Ve- very long and narrow as well kind of yeah, the opposite of what the trend is now you know it's kind of short and going gradually wider mm. so it's yeah very very different my, my dad's actually just taken a gobi off his uh, rocky mountain which is going to mm. be appearing in a video coming soon uh, yeah, plug. he wasn't uh, was again. Uh, yeah, great plug for a future video. <laughs> it's <a> natural. <laughs> That's I know so naturally done. So uh, so yeah, you won't see the Gobi in that video, but up until recently, yeah, that same saddle's been in uh, been in some heavy use. Have you got a favourite saddle, Nick? I do. Was this on your list of products that you're going to talk about? It, it was, yeah. Ah. The Specialized Phenom Pro. Nice. So we'll take this one off while we go. But yeah, I like, I'm like. i a man who needs a bit of a perium space. Right. Um, so I'm a big fan of the cutouts. Um, and I think whenever I ride a bike without it, I get less of a less fun out of going uphill, let's right. say. Right, okay. But, you know, it's good. So your pick of the saddles is a special. So understandably, that's only going to appear on a special test bike. Yeah, Essentially, yeah. It's my one of my favourite saddles then. I've got it on my YT Capra back home. Okay. But uh, before that, I used to be a bit of a Celitalia man. And oh, right. was, well, you maybe see me put a road saddle on a mountain bike. Controversial. Which, controversial, but hey, if it works, it works. Absolutely, you know? yeah. I'd love to see a Brooks saddle on a, on a mountain bike. <sighs> Extra weight. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if a dropper would still actuate. <laughs> It'd probably self-actuate. I, yeah, uh... it'd probably go down a fair bit quicker, I would have thought, on it. <laughs> They're very comfortable when they're broken in. I like a specialised henge. I think it's a henge, like um, mm. quite yeah, quite a wide boy. A wide boy, but short, mm. wide and short. That mm. that trend for, like Tom says, wider, shorter saddles does seem to be a bit of a hit. Even if I am a hanker after the old gobies of of the early two thousands, but um, yeah, okay. So was that your first then, Nick? Have I, did we jump we, the gun? We've jumped the gun. Oh, that's a shame. From my end anyway, but Tom was, you know, brought his opinion on saddles. Did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my other one was uh, integrated multi-tools, okay. which I think are amazing, um, especially like the one at BDC. Mm-hmm. So I've also got that on my Capra at home, and just always having a multi-tool to hand is pretty good. And recently I've been testing some bikes with integrated multi-tools, mm-hmm. specialized Epic. Yeah didn't <laughs> but an enduro <laughs> i was riding recently very much did um and yeah it's sick i mean like when you're out on a launch and you know you don't have to rely on someone else for a multi-tool being like the queen on a launch i don't carry one myself <laughs> i was just about to say <laughs> you know you can carry your own <laughs> yeah but no it's just great yeah, to have they, on they hand. do get stolen at bristol airport you know some, yeah some stories from other people i have there is a a, a, a waft of multi-tools being held in bristol airport mm. So, yeah, you've got to be careful. Don't take your fancy tools with you. No. Well, I'd never take anything fancy with me away, just in case. So, well, speaking on airport security, I have had quite a lot of stuff. I've had to repack and unpack many a bike box, um, going through the scanner, you know, for aerosols, CO2 canisters. Just don't read the don't read the terms. Why does that not surprise me, Nick? Because I'm a cheeky boy. <laughs> get, get what you pay for. But, um, no, I think it just really helps. And when you see it on a bike just adjusting things on the fly, especially like if it's a test bike, you mm-hmm. want to try stuff out. 
big things sort of like an X2 shock, like doing the rebound. Yeah. You need something close to hand. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Where's your preferred place to stash a multi-tool? Um, I really quite like the specialized system in the in the stem cap. I think yeah. that works really well. Um, it's like kind of sprung, isn't it? So you you turn the the top round and the little tool like goes boing. Yeah, cold hands, easy, easy peasy. Mm. I don't really understand the bottom bracket sort of storage systems. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in the way. And also, mm-hmm. when I do eventually jet wash my bikes, they're getting a bit wet. Yeah, my maybe my least favorite, I have to say, is back of the saddle storage, mm-hmm. right in the way of all the grit and grime. I have a, a Merida 140 as a long-term bike in MBUK and also a Merida 140 as part of my Bike of the Year test, which will be uh, coming out very soon. And uh, it has a it has a min, uh, multi-tool on the back of the saddle, right in the way of all the grit and grime. And within about two test rides, two damp test rides, that multi-tool is it's, it's not much use. And I'm not picking on Merida specifically, although Merida do do that, because there are many people who put a multi-tool slung underneath their saddle and I just think it's a terrible place to put a saddle. I just think they need protection as well. Like even from keeping mine on the camel back, like I had a an old Crank Brothers one. Um not too sure on the model name, but rusty within probably mm. a, a wet winter's worth of riding. Yeah, yeah. I had another one. You know the ones where they quite often you get like a little um sleeve that fits underneath your bottle cage. You can get motor tools mm. in there. And again, like in theory quite a nice place to put, you know, your motor tools out of the way. You, you're not going to forget it. It's always there. But they get rusty. And what what really irks me is, is when they rattle. Because you're riding along, your bike's rattling. You're like, oh, my cables are tight. My pivots are all tight. My shock's not moving. My cables, you know, like everything's fine. What is it? What is it? And then you're like, it's that blooming three mil Allen key on my motor tool that's stashed underneath my bottle cage. It's been doing my head in for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's rusty. Mm. So I agree with you. Stashed motor tools are great as long as they're stashed in a place where they are generally free from the uh, the throes of water, grit, and grime, and they're of a quality where they don't rust instantly. True. And also the one-up one I've really found interesting to put in, mm. like cutting down your stereo tube, bringing down the race down, good fun. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, because yeah, they, they've updated that now. So I've got a one-up one in my in my Merida long-term bike that I've just mentioned, uh, as well as the one on the back of the thing, and one, I think, in, in, a, in a bottle cage as well. I've got three motor tools on my bike, and I am... <laughs> that's, why I don't, that's why I'll never bring one. <laughs> <laughs> I am the man least likely to try and fix something on my bike anyway. <laughs> but um, they've now got, like, a sleeved design, so, yeah, you, you don't have to 
cut your steerer so much because originally you used to thread them didn't you to thread yeah. your steering so inside but that is now gone but those one-up ones i'm i'm a big fan mm. edc baby edc baby yeah mm. um especially yeah. When inside jesse your... jesse huh? melamed sort of actually fitted one on the go didn't he i think in like an instagram video he showed how easy it was to install and he actually fitted one whilst riding the bike all oh, right like ham- hammering tools and all, you know, like actually hammering out the star nut on the go. I mean, quite, that quite is a man impressive. who is far more um, capable in many respects than I am at pretty much anything. That was the one thing actually with fitting that EDC one. They'd have to get the star nut out, and that was a painful process that took quite a while mm. and involved mm. drills. Ooh. Yeah. Always feels wrong, that, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it was pretty painful. All right, well, I will uh, I will move on to my first one. Uh and it feels a little bit niche saying it, but my one of my favourite little bits of kit to see on a bike is a SRAM HS2 rotor. Now, you might think that rotors aren't particularly sexy items unless you've got one of those fancy uh, riveted ones from the likes of Hope or, or Magura, and they, they do look pretty fancy. But of all the rotors I've used, and this is you know maybe a, a first-world privilege... <laughs> I feel such an idiot saying it, but that's HS2 rotor from SRAM is like literally one of like the best rotors I have ever used. It's Why though? What's the what's the separation? They so you've got obviously your normal SRAM Avid centerline rotors, and you know they're they're pretty good. They've done. I don't know what they've done. I don't. I haven't read up enough. Mm. I really should have done so in the preparation of this podcast. Actually researched SRAM's HS2 rotor, but I know that mm. when I see it, I'm like, I know that my brakes are going to be. That a little bit more powerful. I think they say like 7% or 11% more power or something. Yeah. And it sounds like not very much, but honest to God, it is so noticeable, the difference that those rotors provide. Mm. They're, insane. I yeah, think they're, well, a, they're a lot thicker. thicker, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're like a 2 mil thick or a 2.1 mil thick as opposed to 1.8. Mm. So they're more resistant to warping. They've got a bit more of a heat sink in there. The little spider for the, for the arms is like coated in black paint to help dissipate heat a little bit more and all that sort of stuff. So, like the heat management is 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 really good, much like the the Shimano Isotech rotors as well. But there's something about the amount of power, and almost like a little bit more bite, but not in a horrible grabby way. They're just really good, and I see that, mm. and I'm like, because obviously SRAM still offer their regular centerline rotors to product managers who are building their bikes up. So the product managers who are like, no, I'm going to spend that little bit extra of the OEM cost of putting that HS2 rotor on there. I'm like, you, sir or madam. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's a wise investment. Yeah, they are very good. It is. There's there's quite yeah. a few new rotors out and about which are claiming lots more power. So obviously SRAM released those, I think, 18 months ago or so. Um, Galfer have got some interesting rotors. Hope have just released new center lock rotors as well. Um, maybe Rotatech is is a, a little world of development that we don't really pay much attention to. It's underappreciated. Underappreciated. I like that. Do you have any fancy rotors on your bikes, Tom? Or do you just have the stock I... ones? I actually have HS2 rotors on both of my bikes, so on my transition and on my Kotic Escapade gravel bike as well. So, yeah, 160s on the Kotic and 180s on the transition. I I did notice a difference, you You know, going from. Oh, yeah. It's not not just you. Absolutely crazy. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely not just you. I I noticed a, a big difference. Just in terms of, like you say, I think because they're thicker, they remove some of the like the free play uh, uh-huh. in the in the brake lever on on my G2 Ultimates. So there was instantly like it felt like they were biting better, just because there was less free movement before they actually engaged pad on rotor, and they did seem to have more power as well. Again, I 
don't have any way of testing SRAM's seven percent claims, mm. but they definitely seem to to take a, a bit more bit more bite, you know, out of the uh, out of the out of the speed that you're carrying. So, yeah, I would I would definitely agree that they are they are better than than the centerline rotors for sure. I'm relieved. Nick, have you got any rotors of choice? I'm a I'm a Bargo type of man. I go just standard, straight up. Yeah, straight I mean, up center line one eighty. Maybe down the line I'll be able to experience this two point one <laughs> mil thickness, <laughs> but as of yet I've not been able to. But I mean, it could be an interesting field to sort of develop in. Maybe I'll try and hook you up one day. Yeah, give me some carbon ceramics. Ooh, well there we go. All right, let's move on. Uh, Tom, what is your second piece of kit? My second one is actually things that you don't see all that often. And I can only think of two brands off the top of my head that would do it. One would be Bird and the other would be Privateer. And that is better quality shifters than anywhere else in the drivetrain. So mm. quite often it used to do my head in, you know, as a as a shop boy, you know, you'd see all these lovely bikes come in and they'd have an XT derailleur and that'd be it. It would be like Dior for everything else. And it's just designed to look fancy on the shop floor but when you're out on the trail, you could put an XTR mech on a bike with an Acera shifter and you're not going to notice any difference. Flip that around, though, and fit a much better quality shifter and you're really going to notice, you know, just how much smoother the shifting is. It's kind of irrelevant for me because I'm I'm an Axis boy these days. But if I was on a cable actuated bike... Ooh. <laughs> That's like the equivalent of a name drop, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Axis, Axis, wireless guy these days. But um, if you do boy. have to use cables... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you're a peasant and you have to use cables... <laughs> you can't then... say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if, if, you, if you're on a cable drivetrain, then, uh, then yeah, always, you know, if your bike doesn't come with a better shifter, unlikely, you know, first thing that I would want to swap out is put a better quality shifter on there. And when we say better quality on Shimano, actually, I think what we're really talking is XT or XTR. XT or XTR, for sure. And the same with SRAM as well, you know, like even going from something like a GX up to an XO, big difference, I found. Mm. So going up to like XX1 over XO, not really. Uh, but the best shifter I ever used was a 10-speed XTR shifter, mm -hmm. which was so good. And then I found a little hack a few years later that the Saint one, which you can still buy to this day, is exactly the same internally. It's just says Saint on it as opposed to XDR and was a mm -hmm. whole lot cheaper. So that was a nice little hack of getting the best shifter that you could buy at the time for, for less than spending out for XDR. Okay. I mean, we often talk about shifters, you know, as, as those components that are ones that we do like to see. And, and the reason why we sort of talk about XT and XDR specifically in, in Shimano's case is the XT has a dual release on the thumb paddle, like the the into a harder gear button. So you can drop a load of gears or add a load of gears, however you want to sort of describe it. I never know which way around to say. Um, but anyway, you can do that a lot quicker. And it sounds like a small thing, but actually on the trail, I found it really useful. Mm -hmm. They also use better quality internals. So I think there's more bearings inside for the, the ratchet mechanisms and all that sort of stuff. And just overall, like a crisper, cleaner, lighter, more accurate shift. And yeah, it's definitely one of those things that when you see on a test bike, you're like, hmm, it's pretty good. Going back to the Merida, they're another brand who do that. So the Merida oh, oh, right, 14700, okay. which is the top line alloy one, and the 6000, which is the entry level carbon one, have a uh, an SLX drivetrain, I think, and they have an XT shifter because nice smart product managers. It's, it's that same thing as the product manager is yeah. someone who clearly like rides a lot and, and, and kind of gets it. It's not an accountant making the spec decisions at the yeah. end of the day. It's people that actually ride and are like, do you know what? I'm not going to, you know, it might cost me an extra 
couple of pound per bike sold to spec mm. this but it's going to mean that the people riding our bikes are going to have a better experience because of the choices that we've made rather than those money saving things that are going to make them think that they've got a better deal totally it was like getting like an exo plus maxis rear tire on, on a trail bike instead of like mm. the standard exo one you like that person knows what they're doing yeah 100 percent. nick I'm not going to ask you what your favorite shifter is because I don't think anyone really cares. What's your next product? My next product is lock-on grips and specifically ODI Reflex because they're one of my favorites. Nice. Um, and it's one of those things when you got a test bike is contact points. I mean, we've already gone through saddles, but really a good set of grips that you know aren't going to go anywhere. Just gives you a bit more confidence going down a hill. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've, been, I've ridden the bike that I'm currently riding at the moment and... They've specifically, you know, they've taken away from other parts of the bike to fit lock-on grips because they had that much difference. Yeah. Like sponge, I mean, I used to be a bit of an XC boy back in the day. Didn't we all, I think. Yeah. Mm. Tying on yeah. tying on foam grips yes. with, with cord or, well, metal wire, usually. Mm. If copper, if you fancy. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, just lock-on grips in general. I think they're really good. Um, and I always find it a good excuse if bikes not got them to put put them on. Yeah. More prevalent on budget bikes, I guess. Yeah. I think I've recently reviewed some ODI Reflexes from UK Magazine in issue 421. Yeah. There you go. Nice grips. Quite thick, quite comfortable. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of like, not the most accurate feeling grips because they've they got quite like a high, like high ridges and like the rubber's quite soft and grippy. Like loads of comfort, loads of grip, but yeah. there's a slight vagueness to the feel. A little but, bit loose in the hand, but I'm a man who has famously plump hands. There was a rumor around the school that I used to be in that I had already had uh, injections in my hands for more comfort on the bike. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> Shake my hand. <laughs> I don't know where to go from. I'm certainly not shaking your hand. You do it, bugger. Um, <laughs> I've totally lost my train of thought. One of the things that you ha we are finding now with, with lock and grips is that there's they often these days come with a single inner lock ring clamp without, you know, because previously when, you know, lock-ons first came out, they tended to have a clamp on either side of the grip, so you'd lose a bit of bar real estate. Um, but now you're getting the full width of the grip, which means you're often getting the full width of the bar, which mm. I appreciate as someone who doesn't like a 780 mil bar. And, and death to the bar end as well, or the death bar cap. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I'll, I'll concur on those. What, I like the, what are your favourite grips? That's the big one. I always used to be into the, was it the Auri, I forget the model name, but you know the Auri grip that was, mm. was non-lock-on, pre-kind of lock-on came along and they had like big square treads over it. Um, and I really loved those grips. But, um, yeah, didn't they were just called Auri, weren't they? I don't they were, they I think they were just the Auri grips, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they just were just Auri grips, yeah. yeah. Big fan of them. I think in my formative years of mountain biking, um, someone I really looked up to had them on, on his bike, and I borrowed his bike, and I was like, those grips are great. So yeah, I really liked them. Tom, nice. your favourite grip? This is thrilling chat, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> this is absolutely grip, riveting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've recently moved over to DMR Death Grips. I was always kind of a horse out against the Death Grip for a while. I was I was an Ergon man before that on the yeah. on the GE ones. I used to really really get on with those, and they last forever. Mm. Um, the Death Grips haven't lasted forever, especially because I went for the super soft like race yeah. ones. Are you flanged uh, just, or are you unflanged? I am unflanged. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of a flange. And again, I've always even in the days of like dual lock-on collars i always hold my hands like right at the end of the bar mm -hmm. uh so the ergon's actually made the bars a little bit wider but yeah, yeah anything that's single clamp 
I'm quite happy with. Like I'm I'm kind of ambivalent with with grips to be fair to a certain extent. Like Thomas with saddles, like while I'll always choose a grip that I'm liking at the time if I'm, you know, sort of building a bike or what have you, I'm I'm fairly, you know, grip agnostic really. Yeah. I'm not not really too fussed what comes on there. As long as I'm, you know, sort of got enough to to hold on to, um, you know, in terms of like they're not too thin. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not too fussed really. So as long as they're midish sort of you know, sort of width, um, you know, yeah, not too fussed, really. Happy days. I was always a fan of Renthal's lock-on grips in, like, the really soft compound, the really sticky ones, and you kind of put your hand on, and then you try and open your fingers up, but you couldn't because it's yeah. so sticky, and then you try and you have mm. to, like, use two hands to pull your hand off the bars. It's so sticky. Those things turned a horrible colour, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and your hand is, like, just covered in this, like, sticky mess. Anything you touched, you stuck <laughs> to. But those grips were amazing, and they got a real good, like... The, the profile on them was great because they were chamfered in particular directions for pulling up and not rolling. You know, they were just like, they still are because they can still buy them. Really good grips. Big fan. There you go. My second product is one that you don't see very often at all anymore. But when I do, it's that it's that product manager thing again. Maybe this is a podcast more in praise of the good product managers. Um, but mm. I spotted these again out in Sea Otter and it just reminded me of... Uh, of them. So Vitas have a new bike coming called the E-Mythique LT, which is uh, an electric bike, as you'd guess from the name, and it's like the Mythique, but it's got longer travel, as the name really well suggests. Um, and they have spec'd the SRAM Guide RE brake on there. So it is, in theory, quite an old brake, because this has been around for quite a while, and it was built kind of specifically for specifically it was targeted at e-bikes back in the day when e-bikes first sort of really started arriving and it's a guide lever matched with the previous generation code caliper and as a budget brake that packs plenty of punch it's just one of those top performing brakes it's got more power than a guide but it's lighter weight than a code and, and less burly so i guess it fits better on like a trail bike style bike but yeah loads of power and a really beautiful um bar feel i found it's a bit punchier a bit snappier than the regular guide but maybe not quite so sort of eye-popping um as a code and yet neither the lever nor the caliper are particularly current models from SRAM, but SRAM is still offering it as an, as an OE product. Um, and I saw that on the bike and I was like, I'm into it. Sounds like the best of both worlds. Honestly, mm. it kind of is. Um, probably wouldn't put like it on a higher end, big, you know, full fat e-bike because at that point just put a code on or something yeah. from Shimano or whatever it might be. But on, you know, the, the E-Mythique LT is going to be targeted at, at a price point. I think they're going to price it between £3,300 for the entry level and 4000 for the top end model, there or thereabouts. Um, so for that kind of money, for an e-bike, pretty good. good. Yeah. What do you think pretty about solid. under-braking in the, in the same context of under-biking? Uh, <laughs> I'm. I don't mind a bit of underbiking, but I'm not a fan of underbraking. Mm. Underbiking is kind of fun because you can, mm. you know, to be to be brutally honest, if you see like the likes of Nino Schurter yeah. riding his Scott scale or his Scott Spark and absolutely sending it to the moon, and I'm riding a 150 mil enduro sled, significantly slower, I don't think I can ever complain of being underbiked. Yeah. So. Yeah, that man's new level, though, isn't he? Exactly that. So, um, yeah, no, I don't mind the underbiking, but underbraking, not a big fan. And this, that's a big bugbear of uh, Luke Marshall, uh, one of our tech writers, who really doesn't like poor brakes on bikes. Understandably, I think yeah, I think that could be a 
everyone can agree to that one I to some extent. Yeah, hundred percent. Tom, do you want to round out your last of your three? Yeah, and it's again, it's not something that you would see, but kind of a theme in in general. Uh, so I really like Cro-Mag's Cutlass handlebars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 10 years ago, so I probably would have said Easton's Haven at the time, like a 750 mil Haven. They were super popular. And I'd just be able to just jump on a bike with those bars on and be like, ah, oh, this feels like home. It's familiar. So I, I guess, you know, as long as you're finding a bar shape that works for you, that'd be something that'd be really nice. Now, if you can just jump on a bike and you just think, oh yeah, this 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 feels right. Like the Scott that I was tested recently, you can find the video and the review on bikeradar.com and on the channel. That had a, quite an odd shaped bar and it took me a little while to get used to it. Um, and a transition smuggler that I recently rode, I just jumped on it and the bar just felt awful. Just didn't, didn't like it at all and it completely changed the feel of the bike for me. So, uh, so yeah, I like the chrome mags, but in general, I think just a, a nice sort of, I think it's like five degree of upsweep and nine degree of backsweep or one or the other. Mm-hmm. So just finding that nice sort of bar shape, I think is really important. And again, it's in praise of product test, you know, product uh, managers that sort of fit decent shaped sort of bars. Happy days. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's swing to Nick for your, your third and final. Let's swing back no, right no, around you to you. Done it. Let's uh, talk about the saddle once again. Let's do the saddle again. I don't think we. I don't think we can really do that. I don't think we can. I will use my final one then, and that is fully sheathed internal cable routing. Um, I'm a man who doesn't like maintaining my bikes. I don't really like working on them, um, and I'm not a particular fan of internal cable routing for the most part. However, when I jump on a bike and it's got actual sheathed internal routing, where you literally poke the the outer cable or your brake hose into one hole at the back of the bike and it pops out the front after a little bit of pushing that just makes life so much easier rather than ones where you have to like open the door on the bottom of the bike and like get a pick out and or take like a cable clamp out of the side of the frame and like hook it out i'm like oh, i ain't got time for that i ain't got time give me some zip ties and i'll just sit tight to the outside of the bike but yeah ones where you get properly um Properly rooted internal cable rooting. That's the way it should be, though. It's the way... No, absolutely. That's how they sold the dream. They did sell us that dream. Yeah. I mean, as an access man, Tom, you wouldn't know about these things. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's kind of one of the reasons why I went access, because I had, uh, on my transition, one of the... Annoyingly, one of the cables, so the rear gear cable, is internally... like It's like tube and tube. Transition didn't have an acronym. Tits. Yeah, they did have... that. Yeah, yeah, they had the, the TITS acronym back in the day so the gear cable is like that but the dropper post isn't oh my god it isn't is it <laughs> and and it's like oh that's so annoying yeah. so it took me tr- changing you know cables you know as, as you do at the end of every winter it took me no time at all for the rear rear derailleur and then you come to do the dropper post and i was there for a good hour and a half with all kinds of implements just trying to getting it to the bottom of the down tube and around mm. the bottom bracket was fine but there's no door on it. So trying to get it rooted like back up to the seat post. Oh man. Like, yeah. The air Mind is currently blowing, red right? under the duvet, but it was it was definitely blue that day. <laughs> I uh one of my long-term bikes in I think 2018 long-term bike was a transition scout. I've mentioned mm. it many, many times on the podcast because it's still my benchmark bike of a bike that I just loved so much. I completely remember your pair. I had to, I think I was testing some dropper posts or something like that. And I just lost my mind. It was. It's so infuriating. They're so close to getting it right. (laughs) I think the problem was, you see, you get it around the bottom bracket and then you've got to get it past the main pivot, which is, Mm. you know, the seat tube was kinked, had the pivots in there. And it was just the most painful 
bit of maintenance I've ever had to do on a bike, and it it threw me wild. It did. Mm, it's it's not good. I say it's slightly better on mine because obviously, like in this day and age, you know, it's like everyone's seat tube is like arrow straight, so you can get maximum insertion in there. So I didn't have the pivots to worry about, but it was just the bend, sort of like round the bottom bracket, was mm. so tight. It was oh, I was infuriated. I eventually got some like uh, fishing wire or something like that, and mm-hmm. sort of like got a hook around it to actually try and get it back up. But oh, I very, very nearly lost lost my mind doing that. So that's why I have an axis seat post, so I don't ever have to do that again. Honestly, I think if I was going to be specking my own bike, because you know, obviously, very fortunate to ride a lot of test bikes, so I, I don't own a bike. But if I did, I would, you know, I would save money in numerous places in order to get an access dropper at the very mm. least and, and probably access gears as well yeah yeah i say access gears I, I think i could possibly get away with but the dropper post like it's just so much easier mm. so much easier to have to, to especially you know, you've got to multiple work with bikes that. i think a couple of years ago i ran a couple of long-term bikes had a radar one and an MBUK one and i had one dropper post between all my bikes mm. and you know okay yeah. like it's an expensive dropper post but the time it takes to move one you know drop from one bike to another bike and then move the little shift lever from one handlebar to another handlebar it, you could do it in a minute yeah it's so quick so uh, that's how i man mathed it into being good value for money by good value it for on money two or yeah. three bikes <laughs> i i did the same but realized i'd sold my hardtail at that point so i only actually needed it for one bike by the time <laughs> it arrived so it was like oh well okay seemed like a good idea at the time but yeah, for I pandemic have supply one. issues. Yeah. I think it'd be the perfect addition to any dirt jump bike. Imagine that. Rock up to the park, boosh, slam it down, get ready to jump. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do dirt jump bikes tend not to have normal dropper routing? I mean, you could probably make it work. Why don't they do, though? Get a drill. Get a drill. All That's about it. the drills. <laughs> don't drill your frames. No, unless you're going underwater. <laughs> unless you get, yeah. <laughs> We've got all that. All right, well, um... I apologise for dropping you in there with your third one, Nick, which you'd actually already done because Tom ruined your party um, yeah. early on in, in the show. Um, <laughs> I but thanks so much, guys, for uh, bringing your uh, bits of kit that you love to see. Uh, and praise be to the. Uh, the oh, smart. I, I did have another one. Oh, go on. Uh, just before the buzzer, stem caps with removable valve uh, with valve core removers. You did have that. It's on yeah. my list in front of me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Should we go back in and do that again, or? I mean, we're doing it as we oh, go. Right. Well, fair enough. Sick. But that is the one of the best things. You're there, you're frustrated, and you're thinking, oh my God, I, I, this tyre's gone down, I need to put some more sealant in. Mm. Just straight back in. It's so easy. Yeah. And on numerous occasions, and with certain brands of pumps, in brackets, Lazine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> tightening back up again, it's right there to sort it out. Yeah. No, Big I fan. agree. Yeah. So it's like basically the, the little lid for your valve. And it comes with the, it's elongated and comes with a little cutout in order to tighten the, the valve. Yeah. The valve stem. I would say for cheap upgrades, one of the best. And, yeah. it, you know, mm. it can be even free at certain trail centers if you're uh, quick enough. There are, there are quite a few brands who who have that as standard. So Peter's valves do that. Hunt's wheels come with them that do that. Uh, I think Reserve used to, although if you get their Fillmore valve, it's a different system, which doesn't need it. Um, DT Swiss's higher-end wheels come with uh, a neat little valve cap for that as well. So there are plenty out there. And as you say, mm-hmm. keep your eyes scouting on the floor of a trail centre car yeah. park and you might come you across might one. You might find some. The Petey's ones have a spoke key as well on the on the end of one of them. So one end is a valve core tool and the other one is a spoke key, which is a really nice little feature. Smart. I like it. Mm. Yeah, clever. 
All about those on-bike tools. There we go. Mm. Stash it, and then you don't forget it. Nice. All right. Well, uh, I'll end this once again. Yeah. Thanks ever much, much, guys, for your input into this uh, podcast. The bits of kit that we love to see when they come on a test bike. Well done to the product managers for those who spec all of them. Maybe if you're a product manager out there and you've heard our podcast, now you know exactly what to spec on your next bike. Um, always there as a public service. Um, thanks ever so much for listening to the Bike Rider podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to it and share it with your friends uh, so more cyclists like you get to listen to us chat about bikes. Thanks ever so much, Tom. Thank you, Nick. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 